Thank you again for making the time to uh, join us. You can certainly subscribe on YouTube, Jay Fuller Interviews. Join the Facebook group, Jay Fuller Interviews. We are on Instagram and Twitter, Jay Fuller Interviews as well. And now on all the podcast channels as the Backfire Podcast with Jeff Fuller of Jay Fuller Interviews. You can subscribe on Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you would like to do that. And you will see product placement. Today, I choose happiness because one with a great story is the ambassador of happiness. We have Maura Sweeney. Maura, how are you? I am great, Jeff, and thanks for having me on. I'm really looking forward to today's talk. Yeah, I'm definitely excited. I want to just start with this because I'll just put this again. Today, I choose happiness, and I had the privilege of interviewing your husband uh, a little while ago, and I understand that you have obtained the title of Ambassador of Happiness. If we've ever needed an ambassador, it is in this year of 2020, but where did you come with that name? You know, I didn't make it up. It was given to me. When I was invited to speak at the inaugural Nelson Mandela Day celebrations, and I was so excited. I, you know, I, I am, I'm always traveling. I'm going different places, and I love connecting with different people. I was actually introduced to the director, yeah, the executive director of the UNESCO Center for Peace through an organization I spoke to out in Serbia. This is several years ago. And the woman there said, oh, I need to introduce you to this person. Well, anyways, turns out I meet this guy when I was in Washington, D.C. with my daughter. And he said, Maura, I'm going to be hosting the inaugural Nelson Mandela Day celebrations. Would you please be a speaker? So I thought, wow, this is awesome. Like, yeah, these things happen in life. Turns out they have all of these people that were showing up and they were all dignitaries from different parts of the world. And they said, what's your title? And I'm thinking, my title? I don't have one. I'm not part of a corporation. I'm not associated with anybody. There's no deep pockets. But all I could do, tell you about myself is that I travel and I write about what makes people happy. And so they said to me, we have a great title. We're going to call you the ambassador of happiness. And when I shared it on Facebook, people said to me, wow, Maura, I couldn't have come up with a better name for you. And then I might as well add to it, since everything with me is a story. <laughs> Very shortly thereafter, someone from LinkedIn reached out to me. He's got a large uh, listenership on a radio show out west. And he said, Maura, oh, sorry. He said, Maura, um, I've, in, I've interviewed so many people, but I've never interviewed the ambassador of happiness. So he's talking about all these people with big titles. And because he was a marketeer out of New York City, he's an older man, he said to me, I hope you got that title trademarked. And I said, no, why? He said, if you don't trademark it, somebody else will. <laughs> so I did. But, you know, Jeff, the nice thing is, even though my life path has been very different, I have been to several countries and I have spoken at U.S. embassies, many universities. I've been in their newspapers. I've been on national um uh, even national news. And do you know, they have introduced me as the ambassador of happiness. And I think that's so much. Nobody, I mean, it's how some titles exist. You can't make them up. They're not man-made so much, or they're not part of the establishment, but they really do embody a person's personality and mission and calling in life. So I'm happy for it. <laughs> and I'm happy as well. So a quick question with that ambassador of happiness to have that uh, tone about you or just that aura about you, some might say, did you grow up with parents that just instilled that perspective in you when you were younger? Or why do you think you have that vantage point so often? Interesting. You should say that. Do you know when I graduated high school, I'll start there. Um, my, you know, senior year in your yearbook, they'll say, oh, you know, cutest couple, most likely to succeed, all those things, right, that everybody wants. I got voted most dignified, hmm. along with a guy who got his PhD, and he was like super bright, smart, smart, but he also sang Gregorian chants. And there I am in 1976 when I graduated high school, pouring him tea, thinking this is the most awful title, embarrassing, but they made it up for me. And so somewhere I must have had it in me. Um, but I will tell you, as far as my upbringing, yes, I was brought up very, um, very much with expectations and very strong expectations. But underneath, I think I was very much a free spirit. And so I had to kind of merge the two. But yeah, I would say there's something in me that has a certain amount of dignity and refinement, even though I can be quite scatterbrained at times. So it's a nice little combination. And again, Maura Sweeney making some time at MauraForYou.com. And I have to admit, I had to listen to your podcast several times to make sure I pronounced your name correctly 
because my wife has been watching the comedy. I have to uh, clarify for my mom that thinks I'm using inappropriate language, but the comedy Shit's Creek, where <laughs> the, the mom's name is Moira or Myra. I forget how they say it, but I kept getting confused. And so then I had to listen uh, to your podcast and get uh, moreforyou.com, which uh, listeners and viewers can see right here that you have uh, been very productive as the ambassador of happiness. Uh, behind me, there's a little uh, picture that says positively impacting the world through podcasting. When did you first begin your podcast? You know, I think I just did it when podcast, not to say when podcasting started, but when podcasting became a thing and people became aware of it. What happened is that I, um, several years ago, I start, I woke up one night and I realized there was a funny story running through me and I couldn't go to sleep. And I thought, well, let me write it. This was before I had a blog. Um, and I think that as each new opportunity arose, so I would, I would write little things on Facebook. I was a uh, contributor to salon.com. Um, I had a piece on, or I had my own column on Huffington Post for several years before they changed uh, ownership. But as far as podcasting, I think it was just another way of reaching people, another form of communication. And it was my husband who said, Maura, be a podcaster. And I will say this, this is interesting. It is actually easier for me to roll out a podcast than it is for me to write a blog or write a book mm. um, because there's something in the spoken voice. There's something in the tenor of it that enables me to communicate not just a word, but a feeling and an intention that goes with it. Uh, because do you ever see somebody could use the same, they could say the same thing to you, but you know, one person loves you and another person wants to stab you behind the back. So when I podcast, I know that people are hearing me and receiving me on a number of levels, which is really what I love because my desire is to reach in to those places in everyone's heart and soul where they know we are alike, not separated or different, where we can find love and peace rather than discord, disunity, and uh, discouragement. And those are things that I really can't, I'm not as effective with if I'm in the written word because they can't hear sure. my heart coming through as well. well. I certainly agree with that, and especially uh, in the tenor of this year, uh, being an election year, let alone with the pandemic going on and all the other inequality that we've experienced and witnessed, living happy inside and out. Behind me is a picture of uh, yourself doing just that. <laughs> I, was, I forgot. I... <laughs> you want so, an explanation for that one? Sure, please, please. I forgot about this. You know, I'm I'm obviously older than you are, probably older than a lot of your audience. And in life, I've done so many, several things and probably, I don't want to say reinvented myself, but I've always looked to expand, expand, expand. You had asked earlier about my background. I was brought up with turtlenecks. I think I was allowed to wear three different color clothes, always A-lines when they, when they were dresses. I was supposed to be an attorney. Uh, instead of going and learning how to dance, I had to learn how to play classical piano. So there were a lot of things built into me that were so strict and so, um, I would say, confining. Hmm. And yet I always wanted to learn how to dance. What you're looking at there is a picture of me dressed up. Our daughter probably is the one that took the picture. Um, I had, starting at age 50, I think, finally learned how to dance. And I went to junior college and I um, and I probably took, I don't know how many years of dance, all kinds. And I had to learn how to do it. I actually wrote a book about it. It was my idea of breaking out of, let's say, a mold I was uh, brought up under, one that was so deeply ingrained, so much of me was hidden underneath it. It was my daughter mm -hmm who started um, homeschooling and then went to uh, college early. And she found out about dance. And she said to me one day, she said, Mom, they have, uh, I think it was early, uh, what is it called? Intro to jazz. And I said, oh, Kaylee, you're going to take it. And she said, no, I'm not going to take it. I've had years of dance. You're going to take it. And I'm thinking, dance, I can't put one foot in front of another. So this is almost an after effect. I had taken several years of dance, then joined a flash mob, which they don't have anymore. It's It's you know what flash mob yeah, was, yeah, but yeah, people yeah. get together, they dance. Our daughter was here from college. She learned the dance. It was um, 
somewhere in the fall. And so she and I both dressed up in black and white. And we both had bottles underneath our hair. And this would be something our daughter would have never seen with me. But I thank her for kind of pushing me out. And my husband said to me, you got to get a picture of this. He said, this is, I would have never known when I met you at 19 that you were going to be doing this. So it was funny. I totally forgot about it. Uh, so I guess if I could do what others could do it too, you could step out of the box. Oh, for sure. And uh, something I mentioned or alluded to earlier is interviewing your husband, Jim Sweeney. I'm a big sports guy and uh, I love ESPN and especially the documentaries of which playing for the mob is about that Boston College scandal story in which you're quoted or on screen as saying that you had no idea until after college of what was taking place. So first of all, what led you to Boston College? I could tell you I didn't get accepted to Georgetown, but I also sabotaged my own interview. That was part of my background. My grandfather had graduated from Georgetown. He was an attorney. I was supposed to be one. Anyway, my backup school was BC. And um, I stepped on that campus when I went up to visit it. And something, I, I, it's amazing. It was amazing to me. You ever have defining moments in life? I remember stepping, I was going onto upper campus where they had the, the dorms and I hit on one level uh, between stairways and I thought, this is where I belong. And it was, there. I, I'll tell you what I liked about it. And again, this is going back into the late seventies. I wanted to be close to a city, which in this case was close to Boston. Um, but what struck me about BC, it was a beautiful New England setting, but there was this unique, let me say a great word, balance to it or symbiotic nature to it. I knew I could get a very good education there, but I also knew there was something about BC, at least at the time, it was not considered a place for the elite. So I remember thinking, if, and this is going to be dating myself again, but if you could put yourself in another perspective... If you could imagine back in the 50s, early 60s, there you were something called penny loafers. Penny loafers were nice loafers. They would put pennies, maybe whatever. They were made out of good leather. And what I imagined Boston College to be back then, and it, I knew it was good for my soul, is that if you could have seen a guy attending BC back then, they could have been just as comfortable in a Brooks Brothers suit with those penny loafers as they could be in a pair of well-worn jeans and those penny loafers, there was this ability to straddle all kinds of worlds and yet be very at home in their own skin. And that's what my soul needed. It did not need Georgetown. That was far too establishment for me, even though I had imagined myself really as being like a foreign dignitary at the time. Um, but I would have felt so constricted. It would have only added to all of the weights, I'd say, that I had growing up. Where BC, people didn't take themselves that seriously at BC when I went there. And I did, but I love the fact that there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of levity there. Maura, where did you grow up? I grew up in a small town um, about 10, 15 minutes outside of Manhattan. It was Lynnhurst, New Jersey, one square mile. And from the tip of our town where there was a, a cemetery, you could actually see all the lights of Manhattan. So uh, I was very wow. close to the city, but in many ways, I always remember thinking to myself, get me out, get me out. Because now again, this is my thoughts. Everything was within that one literal square mile. And I used to feel like everything was always existing within Lyndhurst. And meanwhile, I was like, I want to see the world. I want to go different places. I want to expand my horizons. And um, so it was an interesting thing being so close yet so far from New York. Talk to me a little bit about when you first met Jim. Was it the short shorts or the game of basketball or what drew you to uh, Jim Sweeney? You know, funny you should say, I was never an athlete. Um, I work out, but I was never an athlete, never got into that. I used to hear Jimmy's name mentioned my freshman year. There's a girl directly across the hall from me in our dorm. And every, more, every day she would say, oh, Jimmy Sweeney, Jimmy Sweeney. And I'm thinking, who the heck is Jimmy Sweeney? And Jimmy Sweeney must have been one of the freshman starters on the team. Now, I was never a follower of whatever the trend was. I just wasn't one of those people. And I thought, oh, whoever this guy is, I bet he's stupid and has an attitude, like as an ego. <laughs> and uh, I couldn't have been any more wrong. The beginning of sophomore year, I was um, a freshman 
I would always, I was, I was for four years, I think I interviewed incoming students that were interested in attending the school, but then I also worked with incoming freshmen. So the beginning of freshman year, and you live up north, so you know, we have a very short amount of time when things are warm. But when we all got back, got back to school my sophomore year, there was an incoming group of freshmen and I was a freshman orienting leader. So BC, as well as other universities, were running events at the time and they would rent out a floor on a barge that would go around Boston Harbor. And it was a, they were known as booze cruises. And I guess back then you could be 18 and you could drink. And I was never a drinker. But um, I remember I brought, I'm, I'm always dating myself, but I'm very much for today too, Jeff. So I used to play the guitar in addition to the piano. And that was the era of like folk music. So I was with uh, my roommate. We had these 10 kids who were new uh, freshman recruits, or not recruits, but students. And we get all the way to Boston and I'm playing my guitar. Um, with my roommate, we're both harmonizing to things like James Taylor and um, oh, Carol King. And then one of the songs I sang was from the Fifth Dimension. Bill, I love you so. I always will. And um, which was funny it was "Will You Marry Me, Bill?" An old, old song. At the time, there was a guy I knew from BC, and he came over after I sang, and he said, "Hey, Maura, how are you?" He said, "Did I ever introduce you to my friend here? Have you ever met Jimmy or Jim Sweeney?" I said, "No, I." But, and I wasn't connecting it. But let me tell you something, Jeff, I, was, I wasn't even allowed to date as a uh, growing up. I was not allowed to date. So Jimmy was actually my first and only steady boyfriend. Not to say that I didn't go on dates earlier, but no steady dating. Anyway, I met him and I thought to myself, this guy is, I've never met anybody like him. And let me tell you, the funny thing is the very thing I told you about Boston College where somebody would be just as comfortable in a Brooks Brothers suit, let's say um, in a boardroom somewhere as they would be wearing their comfortable jeans. That was Jim Sweeney. Here I was. So we talked like probably for an hour or so as we're going around the, um, around uh, Boston Harbor. And I remember the things I noticed about him. This is in 1977 were exactly the man he turned out to be. Because as I'm discussing all these things, I was political science major, and then I took a second major Spanish lit, and I'm very serious. I'm focusing on my studies. Here was a guy who had gone to a great prep school, one of the top in the country. He went there as kind of like the, the inner city kid that got the scholarship. But he was so down to earth. His goal at the time was to be a prep school teacher back at the same prep school he went to school. And I'm like, oh, that's back in New Jersey. I don't want to live in New Jersey if ever I end up with this guy. But I remember him saying to me, you know, Maura, um, he said, my grandparents came off the boat from Poland. He said, "We, my mother grew up in the same house we live in now with my grandparents. Uh, at, at that point, the grandparents had passed. And what I saw was someone who was so in the moment, so able to pay attention, so genuinely interested in conversation. He had not one bit of um, artifice. You know, there's a lot of people, they think they need to impress. And I remember as I was probably sharing a little bit about the expectations my family had of me, he said, you know, my parents never forced me to do anything. He said, they'd always want me to do my best. And he said, they would facilitate for me. He said, but uh, they never forced me to be somebody that I wasn't. And I thought this guy is so comfortable in his own skin. And what was he wearing? A very comfortable pair of nice, clean jeans. And, and I remember him saying, you know, I'm just happy being me. And I thought that is so refreshing. And his goal, again, I want to be a teacher. So it wasn't like he was raising himself to, I want to be better than other people. He wanted to do something that was important to him. So I told you, I'll build your story about anything, Jeff. What else do you want to know? I keep going. Well, I'll keep Oh, that's wonderful. And uh, Maura Sweeney, moreforyou.com. It's the number four, just the letter U, moreforyou.com. Also on Instagram, uh, at moreforyou, underscore, and Twitter is at moreforyou. And again, the number four in the letter U. Um, so when I interviewed Jim, it was just phenomenal because he shared about the new book that he's just uh, written, Old School Hoop. So we're excited about that. want to promote that as well. But also your uh, friend, Mike Rafone in uh, long history there we uh, shared about and talked about but we just really got talking with the ESPN documentary playing for the mob that Jim's life could be a mini series which certainly you would be featured on because there's so many aspects 
there up are. in his life and now with FIMBA and the different countries, he's been able to play basketball uh, with a master's division and all of that. But I just want to go back and ask you, all the dimensions of Jim's life and now your life, are you surprised that it, that life doesn't just take you on a streamline? Or what could you say to younger listeners that have the whole uh, journey laid out, but when you begin to live it, it does not take the path that you, you always believed it would? Very true. This Jimmy used to say to me, Maura, this is like one in a billion chance that these mob people would end up with me. You know, it's just, it was the most unusual thing. And it was just the, it was the culmination of just so many unique things that were all playing at the same time. But, you know, there's so many things have come out of that. I'm actually very grateful when Jimmy first told me about this, I knew there was pressure. I knew that his coach didn't want him because the coach never wanted him. And Jimmy's first uh, freshman year coach at BC, I guess, got fired the end of freshman year. And I could see the coach did not like Jimmy. There were certain people who was trying to get rid of. And finally, I said to Jimmy one day, why don't you just stop playing basketball? And he said, Maura, you don't understand. This is how I get to go to school. And he said, I don't get an education if I don't play. And he said, I don't want to play anywhere other than Boston College. But um, here's what was really big about that. You talk about an eye-opening, mind-blowing experience. Jimmy growing up in Trenton was aware of the mob because his father used to warn him about people that were always like looking to manipulate others. So we had a natural dislike for that kind. I, I don't know. I think I was living in la la land. I was always behind books. When we got out of BC and I was in law school at the time and I happened to be on a run one afternoon up in Lynnhurst, New Jersey. At this point, Jimmy was down in, uh, in Trenton, New Jersey And all of a sudden, his car showed up alongside of me on the roadside in the middle of the week. I thought, what's going on? And he said, Maura, would you get in the car? I need to share with you something before it hits the news. Uh, And he said, and then after this, I want to tell your parents. But he said, this morning, very early in the morning, two FBI agents came to my house in Trenton. And I'm thinking, what do they come there for? He proceeds to tell me in all of like five minutes what took place at BC, where he was being uh, threatened by the mob. He had accepted $500. Not that he had accepted it. He just, he couldn't leave it on the floor because that would have created more problems. Told two of his roommates and he said more of the, um, the FBI. Um, I shared with them what happened when they came and uh, he said, I will be a witness for them. And, and then he told me who some of these people were. And he mentioned like Rick and how all this had come about. And it was mind blowing to me. Now, the two things that I remember thinking is, how did this happen? Why did these people even want to do this? I real I remembered things that he shared with me. I was concerned for his sister who worked a midnight shift uh, in Trenton at the um, uh, at the telephone company at the time. And I remember they knew where he lived. And secondly, he told me that they knew my name and they knew I was it was I was going to be studying in Spain, which is where I was when maybe the height of this all took place. And I remember feeling very vulnerable shocked. And my question was like, who are these people that would do something like that? But if I could say anything beyond that, Jeff, what really shocked me after that, talk about mind blowing to be 23, 22, 23 years old and realize you're somehow caught in the middle of a a top Jesuit university with Catholic priests that are not standing behind or even questioning um, their top and most beloved, I would say, um, student athlete. They so they dis not only dismissed him. I think they would have been happy if Jimmy sort of just went away and died someplace, you know, quietly. So that the fact that Jimmy was was told not to speak a word, and yet he ended up being the subject of a cover story on um, what was it, Sports Illustrated, where he's being painted just like the good fella guy. It was yeah. so surreal. And then I'll tell you something else. Was, talk about like wake up. You know, there's a lot of us, all of us. Um, some are more awakened to the ways of the world than others. And that was sort of a wake up call for me because as I was in law school, I was in uh, at Seton Hall in um, Newark, New Jersey. And I had my maiden name at the time, but people at my university were able to figure out that I was engaged to Jimmy at the time. So one of the professors or the uh, at at uh, Seton Hall called me in and he said, Maura, are they referring to you 
in connection with this, you know, this point shaving thing. I said, yes. And it's, he said, is this your fiance? And he said, so tell me who is representing him? I said, oh, nobody's representing him. I said, he's going to be there as a witness. And he said to me, this is, he looked at me like, what are you stupid? This is New Jersey talk. What are you stupid? He said to me, Maura, were you born yesterday? He said, I don't care what, um, what was it? It was the, uh, he said, I don't care what the prosecutor told you or Jimmy, you tell your husband, your fiance to go get a lawyer today to represent him. He said, don't you trust anybody? And so we had media. I learned about how just big media can so destroy a person's reputation. It's almost like, you know, when people say it's the gospel truth, I read it in the Bible, must be true. Well, I read it in Sports Illustrated or I read it in New York Times. And I have to tell you, you could read or hear something that the so-called establishment people are telling you, and that could be the farthest thing from truth. It could be taking of this and this, and you put it together with a little bit of something else, and you create a completely different impression. Anyway, next question, please, because I could keep going. <laughs> no, that's great. And uh, wonderful. Again, moreforyou.com is where you can find more information. I just want to uh, ask you, living happy inside out, where did that expression come from? Myself, because I was so unhappy being an externally designed person, meaning this is what you can wear. This is where you could go to school. I was even sent to another, like a private, um, all girl Catholic prep school. I didn't fit in there. Um, certain clothes, where I could go, where I could be seen, where I couldn't be seen, etc. I was so conformed externally, Jeff, that I knew that I was in my own jail cell. So what I learned to do, um, and we haven't even gotten into like some of my other things with my own life, but that's okay. I'll go wherever this conversation goes. I knew that when I was very small, I had several, um, I would say traumatic experiences as a child that really caused my little world to, to more than stumble. But somewhere inside of me, I had the awareness that I could be free. So even though I didn't feel free as a young person, as a young child growing up in my home with my family dynamic, that I promised myself I would grow up to be two things, happy and free. And the mm -hmm. idea of free meant free to be me, not somebody else, not a picture or um, window dressing of what yeah, may appear yeah. to be good for someone else. And so I actually went on a life path um, of finding ways to set myself free, to self-express and to become my bigger self, which really didn't resemble anybody else. It's like I took all the good things that I could from my background. I don't mean to make it sounded like my background was terrible because I had many privileges, let's say, that others didn't have. But I've managed to, in climbing out of my own um, hiding places and fears, I ended up learning how to live through my soul, live through my heart. I could say live through God, really. That was, thank God for God. <laughs> and so the living happy inside out, I'll tell you one. Let me give you one example. Um, my mother, unfortunately, very, very controlling. And um, one of the things she would control me with was what time I had to go to bed. So, I mean, at four o'clock as a young child, I'd have pajamas on in the summertime, crying, watching my friends outside playing. But when I reached close to my ninth birthday, I remember saying, well, you know what? All I want to do is stay up later at night. So I won't even ask for a gift. I'll just tell my mother, the only thing I want for my birthday is to stay up later. And she said, no. Well, Jeff, I was so angry, but I was I was so afraid of my mother, I would never I would never act out. So what I did instead was I was very quiet. And for a day and a half, I was fuming internally and I really was not too communicative. And what I realized is that I was so miserable and I felt so ugly as a person. After a day and a half, and I thought, you know what, my mother doesn't even realize how upset I am that I can't stay awake longer. Mm -hmm. I'll never get the best of this. I'll never be able to stay up later. So the best I could do is just let it go and forgive her. Hmm. And the moment I decided to let it go and forgive, it was like a weight 
the size of a ton, lifted off of me. And I felt like myself again. It was like, that would have been one of my first lessons in, I'm going to be happy. <laughs> and I'm not going to allow external things to make me unhappy. And wonderful. it's been a lifelong thing. Oh, definitely. Living happy inside out. What a life lesson we can uh, learn and glean from that today and even right now. Uh, behind me, there's a picture. I just had to pull it up. It's my friend Bob Hilberg and his uh, book, you know Total Patriots. Yeah, great guy. But um, I just wanted to talk about your, it was November 25th, I think, the ABCs of Now on your podcast. And you're going backwards. My re well, wife can recite the alphabet backwards. Oh. I cannot. But it is O, and you said OMG more an expression. And the things that just um, surprise you or make you just pause and reflect, how important is it for people to pause and reflect at the incredible experience they get to experience in the moment? I think most of us don't. And I think it's because we've, we've almost gotten to the point where things are worse and worse. Now we have people doing yoga, we're told to meditate and all this other stuff. But you know, the reality is, look, look at you and me. We're both wired up. I love this conversation, as you know, but when you think about the wiring, have you ever been to um, a really quiet place? I know you live up north, but do you ever go just yeah. into the country and you, you're not connected to anything? You're able to smell the grass if somebody's cutting it. You're able to pick up the wind. You're able to appreciate um, the blue skies. We, especially here in America, and I would say Western Europe, and then you could get places like yeah, maybe Hong Kong, where there's a lot of people. We have, over the course of time, become so um, wired in so many ways that we are not even aware of the moment. We're not even aware of what our own soul is speaking to us. We're not aware of our atmosphere. We're not aware of what our bodies are telling us, what our own uh, desires are because everything comes from the outside dictating to us really. And let me just say this. Most of us don't realize just how programmed we are. Jeff, I saw this for years and years, long time ago. I was, I had a, I was in corporate management and I, every once in a while, I'd, I'd query the people coming into my office and I'd say, Hey, I have a question for you about such and such. And it would be something that was in the news. And it was usually a headline or they used to call them sound bites back then. I had a lot of smart people working for me. And what I realized is that they were so well-read. They thought they knew everything until I would introduce some additional info. And then it would, then it would kind of cause them some pause. What I discovered is that the more I would introduce more information, they realized that they had adopted somebody else's idea and thought it was their own or someone else's mm. opinion and believed it was their own. So when I talk about this OMG moment, and thanks for bringing that up, I hope, you know, if anything, the people will go and check out my podcast, which is more Sweeney Living Happy Inside Out and this whole series where we're going backward in the alphabet. When I got to the letter O, I didn't even know what it was going to be. What, what, what a word. And it came to me, OMG, because we're at the precipice right now. I don't know what day it's going to happen. It may not even be a day, but all of us are going to be to some level, Jeff, undone. We're all of this super duper programming that we're all under, where we all think that everything out there has got to be answered to right away. We have to be nervous. We have to be anxious. We have to be afraid that all of a sudden, a new reality is going to kind of break through our, um, what did I call it? I called it a lid. You could think about it as being the Truman Show. And we're going to get some awareness that there's more to us and there's more to life. And that at the end, we're going to feel more at rest, more at peace, happier. And we're going to start seeing each other as more like our brother and sister rather than our foe. Yeah, and that's extremely important, Uh to think about, to talk about. I just want to get, I guess, serious for a moment. Uh, I had the privilege of interviewing Kareen McCandless, sister of uh, Chris McCandless from the book Into the uh, Wild by John Krakauer, and also Dave Peltzer, the author of uh, A Child Called It. And both of them, those authors, experienced trauma when they were younger. For yourself, how did you navigate uh, that sense of identity or comfort in who you were as you got older, as you said, when you first saw Jim, uh, that he was just very comfortable who he was. What was that process like for you? As you mentioned, having a controlling mother when you were younger. 
you know, I have to laugh. It's a very serious question. And let me tell you too, I hope you could see on my face, I don't hold any animosity against anyone. You know, if there's one thing I could say first is anyone in life who's had trauma of any sort, or let's say they've had an example, whether it's a teacher, a parent, some um, authority figure that was not a good one or was not ideal. Do you realize we can learn more from the poor examples than we could often learn from the good? So um, I'll tell you this. Um, when I was quite young, when I tell you about um, trauma, I, I'll put everything in the hands of God. And I know that everybody could find God and God is perfectly capable of finding you in whatever way he can. When I was really young, now let's say my mother didn't know any better. She brought me on more than one occasion, twice, uh, at least that I know of, um, to a cousin's house. And this cousin was having an abortion in a bathtub. Now, I was a preschooler, maybe five, I don't know. Maybe I was six. But she brought me there to watch an abortion. So can you imagine as a little child and your mother's there playing cleanup and somehow maybe kind of enjoys the process and you're looking at a tub and you can see um, it makes me almost want to cry. Like when you're asking, what is that? What is that that I'm looking at? And you're being told they're little bones of a baby. And I could still see it. That's very traumatizing for anybody. And so, <laughs> well, you definitely said it's a hard thing. Um, very traumatizing. It breaks the confidence. It breaks confidence between a parent and a child. Mm -hmm. um, what was the question again? <laughs> how, how did you reach that sense of purpose and identity uh, where you weren't under the thumb, so to speak, of, of how you grew up? Um, you know what? I also saw a lot of death in addition to those two uh, abortions, the bathtub abortions. I, there were a lot of people around me um, when I was little that died close to me. I lost four grandparents, a great grandmother who was used to sleep in the room next to mine, had a young cousin. I had um, a friend of mine from school, died of an overdose. Um, I had a nice cousin that died like that in a, in a car accident. But what that did for me, and plus a lot of people that were really sick that would traumatize me just looking at it. Yeah. But you know what, Jeff? Those were all terribly traumatizing experiences. What I realized at a very early age, and I mean really early, I saw the end of life. Now, that those are some terrible things you might say, but this is where I say that I turn everything into a benefit, and truly I am a beneficiary. When you're young and you see the end of life, and therefore you can see the brevity of life, you can also see at some level the vanity of life. So what I was able to discern as a young child, and I don't think my mind really necessarily worked like everybody else's. I'm left-handed, so I do see things end to beginning. But I remember seeing certain people at the end of life that were either happy, and I don't know why this is telling me I've got an Adobe Flash Player. Hang on one sec. Okay. <laughs> there were some people that at the end of their lives had lived happy lives. They were fully expressed in terms of who they were. They were free. They were being who they wanted to be. Let's say they weren't squelched and they were happy in their own skin. Then I also saw and witnessed over this young childhood life of people uh, dying, people that weren't happy, one of whom was my great-grandmother. And um, she apparently wanted, I learned this, which was shocking. She wanted to be um, a missionary and travel the world. But instead, mm -hmm. she got married at age 13. She was born in the late 1800s. And by the time she was 17, had four children and she was all, she had all gray hair. She, poor lady, never smiled, was never happy. She was scary to look at. She ended up having to leave school in third grade. I mean, who knows? These are things that have happened in people's lives. She was an example to me of someone who did not live a self-actualized life. You know, her later years was she always wanted a pill and she always looked like a pill and she just was not happy, didn't go out, didn't do things. I don't, I don't think all of it was her fault either, but I was able to, from those little things to say, you know what, 
I'm going to promise myself there might be certain restrictions. I haven't every kid's going to have restrictions, right? But I promise myself that I will grow up to be happy. I'm actually choosing to be happy. And if I'm not happy, whose fault is it but my own? And I'm going to choose behavior patterns, relationships, um, courses of action that will bring me peace um, rather than strife, will bring me a sense of rest rather than fear. Um, And I will look for ways to express myself so that I feel like myself. And I'll, you know, I'll tell you this. I mentioned, you know, I always had the turtlenecks and the uh, A-line dresses and, oh, it was just, it was what it was back then. But, you know, nobody dresses like I do. I don't have to follow anybody else's ways. But when people see me, they'll say, oh, you know, that's Mora. Mora is Mora. I can be among, you know, I could be at the highest levels of society. I've been on missions, um, trips where I was spent seven days in a self-pitched tent in some island in Africa that didn't even have a name. And I was just as comfortable with there with people. That's what I wanted. I wanted to be an earthy person. And that that's what makes me happy. It's not being better than you. It's helping you be you, helping you find your peace, helping you find your best talents, your best skills, your own personal visions, and making them come forth in the best and finest possible ways so that you actually are happy in and of yourself. You don't have to compete with others, but you also then become a picture and a way maker for others to do the same. And I know if we could have people transform and live that way, Jeff, our entire world would change in all of its dynamics, in all of its delivery processes. So many things would be solved. So see, I'm just, it's just me being me. <laughs> and that's wonderful. <laughs> and, and using uh, everything of life as a story to help me get there. Definitely. And this is Maura Sweeney, MauraForYou.com. And it's the number four, the letter U, MauraForYou.com is where you can find her podcast and other information, uh, what she's done, where she's been. You are um, very driven, uh, extremely successful. And I just believe now that some things uh, only time can teach uh, or experience. You can't get wise overnight. Um, so in this time of pandemic, what you've shared is so real, raw, vulnerable, honest, but just it is so good. But just say you're talking to my 18-year-old son who just wants to get through this pandemic and get back to normal. But we would say you have to live through just the stress of every day so you can become better. What advice would you give to some that want to uh, cheat the process? And um, how, how can we learn from this instead of just try to avoid what we've had to go through? Yeah, I know. Isn't this an incredible time? It is. It's incredible. I would say, you know, a lot of people are suffering. A lot of people feel very isolated. And I had a lot of that as a child. What I learned to do, and that's why this whole pandemic for me has been so easy, so easy. I, for six months, I worked as an essential worker at the supervisor of elections office here in Pinellas County, Florida, because a lot of other people were quitting. I didn't even know the job existed, but somebody found me and asked if I would work. (laughs) There were people there that were literally, when this pandemic was really getting worse, I remember there was a woman beside me and she was wearing masks before we had to. And she said, oh my gosh, she said, I feel like I need to go to the ladies room. She said, I'm hyperventilating. The fear of people getting touched by somebody else was so extreme. And I remember thinking, how come I'm not bothered by it? And one of the reasons why it didn't bother me is because I dealt with so much of a fear of death as a young person and survived it that this is a walk in the park. But to answer your question, Oftentimes we want to get, we want to short circuit something. We want to escape it. But when we try to escape our fears or the things that are very uncomfortable, ultimately we're going to have to go around the path and they're going to be looking at us again. So what I learned to do, there was number one, a prayer I used to pray, Father, I'm not asking you to take me out of this. I'm asking you to take me through it. The reason being is that by the going through something, you come out the other side as a beneficiary 
and you've learned the lessons, you've acquired whatever it is, but you don't have to repeat it. And there are some things in life we don't want to have to repeat. And I, I don't know why I was wise enough to know that. The second thing is this. I actually learned through difficult times, and especially I could say isolation, fear, um, vulnerability, the unknown, the what ifs, all of these things. I learned to find new ways to deal with something. It has sometimes where we run on a track, our mind only works one way. We're only seeing one thing. And I remember I even did this through my business years. I would think, you know what? Let me get very grateful. Let me drop my fear right now and drop this thing that's so bothering me. Let me get to a place where I can get into a place of gratitude, thankfulness. Um, Sometimes it means that, you know, I just want to clap my hands and talk about all the things that are good. And so emotionally, I'm changing my energy. I'm changing my focus. I'm changing my expectation. And I would sometimes say a prayer. I would sometimes just speak something positive. And what I realized, Jeff, is that, and I know this is, there are scientists that'll tell you that you're actually creating new pathways of thought, but a new way of doing things will come to mind. A new outcome will come. Sometimes we could get ourselves so much into a corner and a black hole that if we keep going in that same mindset and that same emotional place, we're never going to get out. But if we learn physically, emotionally, psychologically um, to change that energy, we can actually learn new ways. Now, let me, I'll, I'll give you this little story. Our daughter had, had just recently gotten married. It was last, um, last New Year's Eve. And she and her husband were living in New York. They moved to, or they were going to move out West. But when the pandemic took place, at the worst possible moment, they had left New York City. They were going to visit my daughter's new mother-in-law in, um, I think it was like uh, somewhere in Ohio, Kentucky, whatever. I should know these things, right? <laughs> anyway, they were supposed to be there for like a week on their way out west. But because of the pandemic and because they couldn't go anywhere, they were there for three months. Now, you might think, oh my gosh, I'm with my new mother-in-law for three months. I said to her, Kaylee, do you realize you're going to be telling your grandchildren about this one day? During the era of the pandemic, your father and I, we didn't even have a place to call our own. We ended up being sequestered in this place out in the open because it was kind of like open area. They had birds singing outside. She got to know her mother-in-law, who, by the way, is a really nice lady, in ways she would have never gotten to know her. So what was so unusual became an opportunity for something new, Hmm. forging new types of relationships, learning how to cope where you didn't think you could, learning new skills. Here's the other thing I would say to people right now during this pandemic. Yes, you might be on your own. Yes, you might feel like there are certain things you wanted to do that you can't do right now, especially things with a lot of people. But what new things can I learn? What new ways can I grow? What is this presenting me with as a unique opportunity? Like my husband, perfect example. He had probably COVID before COVID had a name, spent five days in the hospital. And let me tell you, it just so sent him into an incredible place where he couldn't play. Basketball wasn't happening. All of a sudden, because Jimmy's always got a very good attitude. He's very um, resilient, I would say, in life. One day he said to me, you know what, Maura? I think I'm going to write a book about my basketball travels. (laughs) And the thing was, like when everybody else was focusing on the pandemic, he could have been focusing on the fact that physically he wasn't doing well, but he channeled his what he could do into something creative. And I can't even tell you right now, he has had people from not only around the country, but around the world, write to him and say, Jimmy, this book has been so great. I have laughed. I've gone around the world with you. I've learned so much. And so do you see how it's a lot of it is a matter of our perspective? That's why I'm going to tell you, had I not been as unhappy or as, um, um, confined as I was as a young child and even desperate, I would have never become a global ambassador for happiness that I am today. So it's all the same stuff. It's just a matter of what context you want to throw it into. So good. And uh, today I choose happiness (laughs) as I have spent some time with the ambassador of happiness. And Maura Sweeney, we just thank you so much for making the time and 
sharing part of your story with us. Um, I would just ask a couple of fun questions, hopefully. Uh, okay. What is your favorite country that you've ever visited? You know what? Why do I always want to default back to Italy? <laughs> okay. I don't know. I think I love the Italian food. Um, I'm going to say Italy, but I'll also tell you last year, my husband sent um, me and our daughter to Southern Spain. And when I got, I hadn't been there since I'd studied as in college, but you know what? I'm going to tell you something. I went to Cordoba and when I got there, I felt like my soul was at home. There was something there with the fresh air, the beautiful architecture, the food, the slowness of life where people could actually sit and enjoy each other's company. Um, the tile work, because they had the Moorish people living there, the warm weather, I felt like my soul felt at home. So let's say the best of Italy and Spain. And then the, <laughs> que the question everyone wants to know, do you still enjoy watching Jim play basketball or is the master's division a little bit slower than <laughs> what you're used to? Jim will tell you, he says he plays iceberg quick. Um, <laughs> you know what, let me tell you something that's really amazing is, um, yeah, obviously it's not like watching the NBA play, but I'll tell you, these guys, they, they're very skilled. Yeah. And for me, I've always been of this persuasion. I just love seeing people have fun. I love seeing them enjoy each other's company. And um, I really, I always want to see everybody win. That's the only hard thing. Like I'll go to a game, I want to clap, but that's like, oh, when somebody loses, I feel so badly. So yeah, I'm going to tell you, it's always fun. And then the last uh, question that I have for you, I stole from Hernando Planos, his Be Contagious podcast. But if or when, let me say, when the feature film is made about your life, who plays you in that feature film? I don't even know the Hollywood people. I couldn't, I'll, but I'll give you this. It'll be an unknown. Okay. It'll be an unknown because I was never an establishment person. How's that for an answer? That is perfect. Maura Sweeney, thanks so much for making the time. Moreforyou.com is where you can certainly find more information. You can uh, get the podcast there as well. And we just wish you all the best and continued prayers for Jimmy and uh, your health. And most of all, happy holidays. Uh, it's a different season, but it's definitely a holiday season. So thanks so much. Thank you too. Bye-bye, Jeff. It was a lot of fun. And again, Maura Sweeney making some time. Uh, you can subscribe on YouTube, Jay Fuller Interviews. Join the Facebook group, Jay Fuller Interviews. We're on Instagram and Twitter, Jay Fuller Interviews. And now on all the podcast channels, the Backfire Podcast with Jeff Fuller of Jay Fuller Interviews. Thanks so much. We wish you the best. Happy holidays. And we'll talk to you all again soon.